I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Fu. And we have some breaking news. As just as we started recording this, and it's another trade. And I gotta say, I'm pretty optimistic that we might get some more breaking news trades in the middle of our podcast. But this one involves uh, Nick Paul being traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the return has now been announced. It is Matthew Joseph and a fourth round pick. And that, my initial reaction, seems extremely strange for a couple reasons. First of all, we, when, just when we found out that Nick Paul is going to Tampa Bay, we were looking at their cap friendly page, and we noticed that they had under $17,000 in cap room. And Matthew Joseph, if my memory serves right, does not make near what Nick Paul is making. So this deal appears to put Tampa Bay over the cap. It's half retained. Which would perhaps imply yeah. that, oh, oh, Nick Paul is half retained. Mm-hmm. Oh, why did I think of that? Of, cor- of course I'll be half retained. 44 I'm so stupid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Never mind. Um, but it's also strange because Nick Paul's a UFA at the end of the year and Matthew Joseph's an RFA at the end of the year. And I know that Tampa Bay has, you know, balls to the wall going all in every single year these days. But I don't even know if at this current moment, the difference between Nick Paul and Matthew Joseph is wide enough to merit doing something like that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, well, I mean, in terms of what was added, I guess, you know, fourth round pick isn't the end of the world. It's not a it's not a huge deal, especially for a team like Tampa. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they seem very, you know, players of equal caliber when you try to talk about their straight up talent. And contract wise, you would absolutely have to say Matthew Joseph um, is in a better contract situation, given that he's a cheaper and b an RFA, um, and and a year younger. Uh, so, but I guess you know it's like a it's like a player evaluation thing. They wanted the kind of player that Nick Paul is. Um, you know, you think about it, they're both kind of defensive forwards. They don't really bring much offensively. Nick Paul's had a decent season with Ottawa this year, I guess. Um, and I think it's just a matter of player preference. And they said here. Have a fourth round pick, Ottawa. Uh, we want a, a, a marginal upgrade. Okay. Anyway, we're not going to talk about all the trades that have happened just quite yet. Quite just yet. What's the problem? Anyway, uh, because first we're talking about Calgary specifically and the games that they played this week. Uh, we said last week when we did Tampa Bay that we wanted to watch a good team and they weren't that week. But this week, I'd say the Flames were indeed a good team, despite the fact that one of their games was an overtime loss to the Buffalo Sabres. In the big picture, very impressive. And it started against the Devils with a 6-3 win on Wednesday. Um, and do you have any any big takeaways from this game specifically? Uh, from this game specifically, I mean, it just looked like it's one team that was better than the other. I mean, the Flames were... They had the better chances, uh, and you know it was tight. It was kind of tight uh, up until the second period, but you know they kind of pulled away. Uh, the goaltending uh, was just significantly weaker on the Devils. I mean, you have Nico Dawes in net, uh, and you have you know Jakob Markstrom on the other side. Although he did give up a you know pretty shitty goal by PK Subban, who you know it seems we mention every few every few <laughs> weeks. Um, he scored a goal from the point. Uh, it was kind of awful. I mean, it just like it went right through Markstrom, and so you hate seeing goals um, scored like that through your goalie. Um, but otherwise, he was solid. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, Brett Ritchie scored his first point of the year. Can't believe it took him 30, 30 games. I mean, it's Brett Ritchie, but still, 30 games still feels excessive. Um, 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, otherwise it wasn't, Excessive. it wasn't, uh, I mean, was it Milan Lucci scored a goal too. So you saw some uh, nice depth, depth contributions from Calgary up and down the lineup. Uh, and you know, as always their, their first line was ready to play and they were, you know, the whole team was looking good. Yeah. The Subban terrible goal that Markstrom gave up sticks out to me as like a turning point of the game because that made it two, two. Uh, and I feel like from that point onward, the that's when the Flames really turned it on. And that's definitely a very good quality for a contending team to have is that, you know, you're playing, you know, a bad team in the Devils and you're, you're kind of playing ho-hum. And if your goalie lets in a stinker, it's great that rather than having that deflate you, that that ends up being the point in the game where you start playing at your best. And they mostly dominated uh, for, for the rest of the game. Because uh, what was it? What was the next goal after that? It was Dylan Dubé scored like a, a few minutes later, followed by Matthew Kachuk, and they were two really similar plays, kind of like uh, left shots skating down the right side uh, of the ice. And yeah, and then Lucic got one, and by the end of that exact same period, it was five to two. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was just one after the other. I mean, yeah, you, you saw that. You know, basically Calgary can attack you in all sorts of ways. They can generate offenses. You know, with the Dubé goal, the Kachuk goal, they were both. You know, like the stretch pass or the transition game. Um, and that, that stuck out as pretty strong, but also, you know, the earlier goals, the Brett Ritchie goals, uh, and, uh, you know, the Manjapana goal that made it two one, um, they can really kind of run you around with a cycle game. And so, you know, this is the kind of characteristic offense we see of, uh, a cup contender, right? This, this flames offense looks like a cup contender offense, um, because they can hit you with all sorts of different ways. Um, they had an aggressive forecheck that led to the Lucic goal. Um, and you know, it's just, they just kind of swarm you and, and hit you with all sorts of different angles. And, and that's, you know, part of why the Flames have been so successful on offense this year. Yeah. Uh, the next game against Buffalo was significantly less offensive. Good old-fashioned nothing-nothing game. Uh, Markstrom and Dustin Tokarski were both excellent. The The save of the game for, for me that stuck out was Dustin Tokarski in the second period uh, diving across with the glove to rob uh, Cali Yarncroc in his first Calgary Flames game. I don't know if you remember that exact play. Uh, but that was kind of like, you know, he came extremely close. He had just been acquired like the day before or a couple days before. I think it was a couple days before uh, and almost broke the 0-0 tie. But Dustin Tokarski was having none of it. Yeah, no, that's shout out to Dustin Tokarski. He had a great game. I remember the, uh, you know, the Yarncroc save looked spectacular. He also had a nice save off of, uh, what was it, Tanev? Um, it was like he came across uh, with a pad save. Uh, so yeah, Dustin Tokarski came up with a with a with a shutout. Um, other than that, you know, it seemed like, yeah, it felt like the Flames kind of fell asleep at the wheel against a team that they came in and knew was significantly worse than them, uh, talent wise. And uh, yeah, they really couldn't get anything going. I felt like you know the Sabers had a whole bunch of like nice rush chances, um, breakaways and whatnot. And so Markstrom was sharp, uh, and he had to be uh, to keep it you know zero zero throughout regulation. Uh, and so, you know, it was kind of underwhelming because like, you know, the, it, it really did see, seem like they fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, defensively, they were they were kind of porous against the Sabres team where, uh, you know, like who's their best forward, like Jeff Skinner. So, yeah, that's underwhelming. But otherwise, it was it was fine. And, and then uh, in overtime, uh, a classic complete clowner <laughs> by uh, Jakob Markstrom as he moves up to, uh, you know, it was it was a clear like what? Buffalo cleared it down the ice. Markstrom, and you know, there's a Sabres forward bearing down on him. Markstrom, you know, tries to play the puck because it's three on three overtime. Lots of open ice here. Uh, and he completely fucking misses the puck. Completely misses the puck. Easy goal for Tage Thompson. And uh, yeah, that's how the Sabres pull it out. Yeah, you were talking before about Markstrom looking sharp earlier in the game. 
and I was about to chime in saying, well, he didn't look sharp in overtime on that on the exact same play. Uh, yeah, he whiffed. Tage Thompson capitalized. You were talking before about Jeff Skinner being the best forward. Uh, I think this year it's actually been like Tage Thompson for the most part. Like, uh, you know, for being, you know, made fun of as like the centerpiece in that Ryan O'Reilly trade just because he's like big. Uh, he seems to be having kind of a breakout year. They're like, you know what? You've been a bad winger your whole career and extremely marginal. What if we made you our first line center? And somehow it's worked. Um, or as well as you could have possibly expected it would have. Uh, so him, Alex Tuck, since he's been there, uh, Jeff Skinner as well to a certain extent, have kind of been stirring the drink for this extremely mediocre Sabres team. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that, that That was a Sabres game. Pretty uh, underwhelming. And then they come back, play the Canucks, uh, and they completely run them off the ice. And uh, so, yeah, for, 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 for such a, uh, you know, disappointing performance the night before, they come back literally the next night and, uh, you know, they were spectacular. Uh, the Canucks were completely overmatched. Uh, and, you know, whether it's, it's the cycle off the rush, as I said earlier, uh, you know, found ways to score goals in different ways. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they won 5-2. Not much other than to say then, uh, you know, the Flames just look like a completely different class compared to the uh, the Canucks, who themselves have been pretty good. Yeah, well, that's another good sign when you have a, a stinker against a bad team and you bounce back with an absolutely dominant performance against another kind of bad team, but it's still a great sign. Um, and Kelly Yarncroc, new arrival, uh, with a stretch pass to Noah Hannafin, Hannafin of all people, and that was the first goal for Calgary. Uh, Matthew Kachuk got the second one in the slot after like a bunch of consecutive chances on uh, Thatcher Demko. And Rasmus Anderson made it 3-0. This was all in the first period. And this score was an accurate reflection of how lopsided the period was. The Flames were getting chance after chance. And a lot of it was also a product of just the Canucks defense being as terrible as we always talk about it being. Um, there was another chance that Yarncroc actually had late in the first period that was just textbook, you know, dump in and just a bad pass from one defenseman to the other. Even some, just like the way the play was shaping up, I was like, OEL. This should be a very easy pass to your partner, Tyler Myers, but I have a feeling you're going to fuck it up. And then, then they did, and Yarncroc got a golden chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it just... <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, what was it? On the, on the Kachuk goal, he was, like, completely fucking lost. He was out there for, like, a minute and a half, uh, and he lost his man, and then, you know, Kachuk was the guy in front of that who ended up scoring from the slot. Uh, so, uh, you know, as expected, what do you know? All, you know, Ekman Larson isn't playing well. Who could have seen this coming? Um, but otherwise... You know, uh, you mentioned Hannafin scoring, Razzo Sanderson scored a goal. And so we see even the defensemen, especially on the rush, both of them scored off the rush. Uh, they seem to be, you know, confident enough to go activate and then shoot the puck and actually, you know, manage to generate offense. And that's always a good sign. If your offense is clicking, you got depth all around, and then you add, you add, you add your defenseman on top of that, um, you know, you, you, that's how you know your team's really rolling. Uh, I thought Tyler Toffoli throughout the week, uh, he has, you know, generated a ton of offense since he came over uh, from Montreal since that trade. Uh, and he continues to look great on that Lindholm goal. Uh, he made a little nifty play. He was like, you know, down on his knees. Uh, he was battling for the puck, a little backhand play. And then, you know, Lindholm was off on the rush, scored a goal there. Uh, so, you know, you love to see it. That the Foley trade seems to be working out. Uh, just absolutely fantastic um, because, you know, he's, he's, he's able to play, you know, even top line with uh, with Lindholm and Gaudreau so far. Uh, and, yeah, no, it's just an, it was like that one, you know, top six piece that they needed to kind of really round out the roster. Uh, you add Yarncroc. Uh, to that middle six, and you got a spectacular top nine uh, core ready to go for the stretch. Underrated, kind of lost in the shuffle, I guess. 
uh, with how well Calgary's been doing is how bad Sean Monahan has been, or at least how badly he's been producing. Um, he is listed at fourth line center right now, uh, and the three centers ahead of him actually all seem to average significantly more time on ice per game than him. Uh, Elias Lindholm, Michael Backlund, and Cal Yarncroft, and that Yarncroft's probably kind of skewed because he was on a much worse team in Seattle. Uh, but it seems like uh, already he is playing more and being relied on more than Sean Monahan is, and al- has also produced much better offensively the entire season. Monahan has a-, a measly eight goals and twenty-two points in sixty-two games. I haven't looked at his page, but I feel like that has to be the worst total or worst pace of his career, um, or if not that, then at least extremely close. Um, so that's that's. I kind of I was looking at that because I saw someone throw out as a possibility like Jake DeBrusque for Sean Monahan and I was like that's ridiculous Calgary would never do that and then I was like wait a second Sean Monahan uh, has been awful and is making way uh, way more money than his production would indicate yeah absolutely it's completely mystifying like I, I still can't figure it out he's been bad all year he's only like twenty seven um, so it's not like uh, it, it's an age thing I don't think. Um, but yeah, just kind of out of out of nowhere. You had a fine season last year, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, it's not like he's easing off an extension. He's still on that contract that he signed back in 2016. Uh, so I don't know what it is. The whole the, the rest of the cast around him seems to really put it together. And like even just back to last year, I think it was like their second line center, uh, or or even you know maybe even competing with first for with with Lindholm. Um, but I, I I honestly can't explain it why Sean Monahan is taking such a nosedive this season. When the Flames themselves, just the team as a whole, has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, the deadline is tomorrow, or at the time you're listening, perhaps it's today or even yesterday. So this may be out of date. But with a lot of the teams that we've been doing recently, we've been saying, what's their deadline plan? And Calgary is one of the teams that's, that's done stuff already. Uh, they acquired Tyler Toffoli a couple weeks out. They acquired Cal Yarncroc a couple days ago. Are they done? They have not much cap space. They have 627000 which is less than league min. But as we know, there's retention. There's a possibility of sending players back. And I look at this lineup, and I look at the six defensemen, who are Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Oliver Shillington, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, and Eric Goodbranson. And it probably won't be a surprise to anyone that I'm not a big believer in Nikita Zadorov and Eric Goodbranson, even though even though they've been fine as a bottom pairing for Calgary this year. Um, there's also the fact that these six defensemen have all played almost every game for Calgary. And the only other defensemen in the organization who've played at all are Michael Stone, who's played four games, and Yusuf Alamaki, who's played eight. So there is some decent organizational depth. Like There are some other names looking at their non-roster who, who have some NHL experience. Andy Walensky, Kevin Gravel. Um, but I feel like I don't have total faith in that defense core. And I don't have total faith that they're going to be able to stick it out over the course of the entire season and a long playoff run. And that if they were going after someone, I feel like a cheap, maybe four or five or even a five, six defenseman is what they should be looking for now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the one hole in the roster that they, you know, if you can even call it that, or one little weakness that they need to address um, because, you know, the goaltending is obviously sorted out and they've really, you know, Bradshaw Living's done a good job at, at kind of supplementing that forward um, group. So, yeah, that's the thing. It's risky to head into, you know, 
a stretch playoff run, or at least that's what you hope for, uh, without with this kind of defensive depth. Like, it's fine right now. Like, it's holding up nicely, uh, I would say, and, and they're performing above expectations. Uh, but, you know, one bad injury, and it kind of throws it in for a loop. And so, you know, for a team that really wants to contend this year, if you want that insurance, um, certainly, you know, they have their, their second-round pick this year. If you want, you know, uh, if you want to go all out, have no picks in the first four rounds of the draft, hell, why not? Why not? Because, um, uh, yeah, showing up that defense would do uh, would really kind of cement them uh, in terms of confidence heading into the uh, the stretch. Yeah, like I'm looking at the top four and going, if one of them gets injured, that means that Zadorov or Branson is now playing in your top four. And that's, you know, making you like pull on the collar or whatever people do when they're afraid. Um, so I think, oh, I, I imagine Calgary is, along with all the other top contenders are, you know, still shopping around and being active and i don't think anyone really goes yeah we've done our work a couple days out and now it's just time to relax yeah i i I mean we can't know maybe that is what they're doing you know (laughs) Um, it's possible that brad's out in i don't know took a little trip to hawaii uh but uh you know it's whatever it is it, it won't be huge right there as you said the cap space is limited um but I mean, if there's one area where you'd have to predict, it'd certainly be, you know, depth defenseman, bottom four guy uh, who you can, you know, you get for a a reasonable pick, get the salary to work uh, and uh, you're good to go. And I got to say, I think this might be my Stanley Cup pick right now today. Uh, Oh, no way. Yeah. Calgary. Calgary, which like, you know, you tell me you tell me that before the season starts. um, I'd be like, you're you're fucking insane. No way in hell, um, because. You know, we, we, our expectations and our perception of Calgary have been absolutely like awful. They're just mediocre for years and years and years. Um, but I don't know. I think they got it this year. They 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 give great vibes, uh, and I think they could pull it off against Colorado. And if they do, uh, I give them a shot against anyone in the East. The thing with Calgary, it feels like it's very year to year with them in terms of giving best vibes, like they're doing this year, or worst vibes, because it was not very long ago at all. Uh, did I mention this on the podcast like last week or was this just an off the air thing talking about how uh, we were talking about how the flames were thinking of like trading Matthew Kachuk because the other players were annoyed by that. He cared too much. And we were like, wow, that's a team that's going nowhere and fast, but it seems like they've all just kind of moved on from that. Uh, And maybe it's something to do with now that Mark Giordano is gone. Matthew Kachuk is kind of like stepped into a leadership position and, or not not to like you know cast the blame on Mark Giordano or anything, um, but one thing or another, the, one way or another, the team seems to have gelled right after he left. Yeah, uh, coincidence or not, we'll never know. Uh, but unless unless somebody starts talking shit in the, to the media, in which case we would know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it really is like, is it just you know year two of Daryl Sutter? It might be, um, or yeah, maybe it's just the locker room just happened to gel this year. But uh, it is extremely mystifying. And yet, when you watch them on the ice against, you know, playoff teams and the like, um, the, you, you completely buy what they're selling. It's like, it's, you know, this this looks like a complete team, top to bottom. You know what? If you want to go pick Calgary as your cup pick, be my guest. I am not sold on this team at all, just because of how hot and cold they, they are year to year, and how bad their top guns have historically been when they make the playoffs and because of that shaky defense we talked about, they're one or two injuries away from, from utter catastrophe on the back end. So, so I'm not, I'm not fully bought, fully sold. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Uh, yeah, the defense is certainly uh, that one area of weakness. Um, but I think, you know, Jakob Marksman has been so fucking good all year. And uh, yeah, I think the addition of Tyler Toffoli, I think that's the uh, the game-changing move uh, for the Flames. I really think it puts them a step above. Anyways, uh, is there anything else you want to talk, uh, you want to mention about Flames Week? Uh, obviously, we, we have a little, we even had a Flames trade to talk about uh, in, in a little more depth. But anything about the uh, the three games that we saw that you uh, wanted to speak about? I don't think so, but I think we can use that Kelly Yarncroft trade to kind of segue to the team he came from, uh, the Seattle Kraken, because we were just talking last week about how you look at the Kraken depth chart and they just don't have a lot of players there under contract. Uh, they traded Kelly Yarncroft for draft picks, and today they also traded Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell for draft picks, which means in the organization right now they have 33 contracts. <laughs> And, uh, what? Oh, yeah, and seven on the reserve list, which are, I assume, are there seven? Yeah, there are seven draft picks from last year. Are there seven on the reserve list? Um, so, I mean, the trades in a vacuum, I think the Yarncroft one is a pretty decent return, second, a third, and a seventh for like a third line forward. The Giordano one that happened today, especially considering the return that we're going to get to Ben Chirot, but especially considering the return that Ben Chirot got. It's absolutely absurd to me that Mark Giordano, plus uh, an okay fourth liner, wasn't able to get a first round pick from anyone and just got two seconds and a third round pick. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a bad return for the Giordano return and the, or Giordano slash Blackwell return. Uh, and Toronto comes off as the clear winners in that trade uh, because yeah, if you're Seattle, you look at the market that's been absolutely bonkers. And you know how do you how do you like you know not get a first round pick? For Mark Giordano, who's been fine this year, and who, you know, leadership and whatnot, when you saw Ben fucking Sherrod get, you know, a first, a fourth, and a prospect. I mean, they either, you know, misplayed their hand, which uh, it seems that, uh, w- what's his name? The uh, the, the Kraken general manager is this slipping Francis? Mind. Yeah, Ron Francis. It seems like he's, uh, I don't know what it is. He seems to have mistimed some things, whatever it is, you know, the expansion, the expansion draft, and, and that fiasco. Uh, but, Woodward, like, did they mistime the market? Were there just like n- not enough teams looking to, you know, buy Mark Giordano? I find that hard to believe. Uh, and so, you know, if that's not the case, w- what's with this? I mean, you're you have two roster players for a second, a third, and a third. When you know the market has been established that it's way more than that. I mean, who was the uh, who was the other damn defenseman? I mean, uh, I got traded for an absurd amount. I can't, I can't think of Lindholm. One. Exactly right. You have Lindholm, and you have. Uh, you have Lindholm and you have Sherratt going for first-round picks and more. Significant packages. I don't understand how Mark Giordano, uh, at 50% retained, doesn't get more than that. I think at some point I have to boil it down to it's just Ron Francis totally bungling how to run a trade deadline properly when you're a selling team. Because we saw Montreal has been floating Ben Sherratt's name out there for basically the entire season. Uh, oh, sorry, I have to cough. Yeah, so he's been floating Ben Sherrod out there for the entire season. First round pick, we're going to get a first round pick. Meanwhile, Mark Giordano, who has been a captain for his entire career, captain of two teams now, he was just the captain of Seattle, um, who won a Norris Trophy a couple years ago and has basically been a number one defenseman for the better part of like the last 10 years or so. And this guy is a pending UFA too. And yet, we all know he's going to be traded. And yet, Nothing. 
we we don't get there's no hype about it there's no rumblings on twitter about it there's no you know insiders tweeting about the the bidding war on mark giordano and he did he did have a some kind of clause that limited where he wanted to go and he seemed like pretty adamant on going to toronto which does make a big difference but it just feels like ron francis did nothing to try and drive the price up and was just kind of sitting back like oh yeah i guess someone will ask us about him at the trade deadline yeah i think i think ron francis maybe just isn't a very good negotiator I mean, we saw what he did with the expansion draft because I keep saying it because it's such a big fucking crime what he did there. He completely blew that opportunity uh, with, you know, all those freaking players that he did, the complete lack of side deals. And here we are, the next big opportunity for trades, the trade deadline, and he can't get good value for, for his assets. And so, you know, he might be a good drafter or whatnot. He has a solid track record in Carolina. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the the trade part of being a general manager... I, I can't say I trust this guy at all uh, because he shows time and time again that, you know, look at Seattle. Like, I mean, they're, they're well, they're well stocked for the future, but they could be so much better stock if I, they, you know, they had anchored, maybe they anchored the price of Giordano at a first round pick. Um, and if they had really kind of played the long game and it's like, they have no long-term vision. Right. And we've said this before about it, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, Grubauer signing that, you know, he came up on the market and, you know, they just kind of rushed to throw like a shit ton of cash at him. Right. Um, and it seemed like at a moment's notice, they hadn't planned for it. Uh, and they already had Chris Jeter in that, that they, you know, planned to give the starter role up until they didn't. Right. So, yeah, it makes me question whether Ron Francis has a has much of a plan. I think he wanted to contend heading to this year, but now he's like selling everything. And it just seems like everything's on the fly. And, you know, you just can't set things up right. And that's what you get, like, uh, you know, a disappointing return from Mark Giordano. You said they're set up well for the future. Uh, they just have a lot of like okay draft picks. They have just a bunch of seconds, thirds, and fourths for the next few years. And currently, they have one good prospect who they picked second overall. Uh, and we talked about the several anchor contracts that they already have on the books moving forward. So I think saying set up well for the future is pretty generous to begin with. You're right. You're absolutely right. I just meant in terms of the draft picks that they've been able to accumulate, but they haven't even been able to get a, you know, a first round pick for either Yarncroft or or Giordano. Um, so yeah, no, globally, they are not set up for anything because, you know, are they rebuilding? Are they what trying to contend? No, they're not. Uh, and they have a bunch of shit contracts already, as you mentioned. So yeah, they're, they're, they're directionless because they have no long-term plan because he can't Ron Francis can't commit. Yep. Uh, let's talk about Jordano's new team, the Maple Leafs. Um, this, as you say, you know, big win for them. Miles and miles better than the Nick Foligno rental they had last year. Uh, and their defense looks pretty stellar now with Morgan Riley, Mark Giordano, TJ Brody. Uh, Jake Musson's on LTIR, but he will he's expected back to the playoffs. I think they're doing that, you know, that whole thing. Rasmus Sandin, Justin Hall, Ilya Lubushkin, Timothy Liljegren. So that's a very strong eight. And at eight is so strong that they actually just traded Travis Dermott today, uh, who's making $1.5 million against the cap this year and next year. And they trade him to Vancouver for a third-round pick, probably a, a clever cap-clearing move for a player who was unlikely to play very much from this point onward, assuming there weren't you know too many injuries. And you don't want a player making $1.5 million sitting on your bench forever. Yeah, uh, and it seems like, you know, Dermot, who was, you know, a kind of defenseman of the future kind of type, even just back 
two years ago. Uh, kind of fell out of favor. His development kind of stalled. Um, but he's still, you know, he's still got promise. He's still young. He's still fine. So I think it's a nice pickup for Vancouver, certainly uh, considering what the, how they got that third round pick, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but, you know, Toronto, good for them for, you know, recouping some of the assets that they just gave up for, for Giordano and Blackwell. Uh, and, and on the other hand, you're right. He's just clearing the cap. They're always worried about that, uh, given the tight situation that they're in. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think you know, it's a it's good work for both teams. Like, I like it for both teams because, you know, Vancouver's taking a solid flyer uh, on Travis Dermott, see if they can do something with him, uh, give him some more minutes, uh, you know, take him out of that shelter role that he's been in Toronto, see how he does there. Uh, and Toronto, they didn't need it anymore. So, out he goes. Fun fact about the third-round pick Toronto got uh, from Vancouver for Dermott. Vancouver got that pick from Winnipeg for Nate Schmidt. So this is a several months in the making Nate Schmidt for Travis Dermott trade from the perspective of Vancouver. Another fun fact about it is that um wait did the Dermott trade that came after the Jordano trade, right? Uh like, I actually this afternoon. I believe so. Yeah. So in that brief window between the two deals, Toronto had only two draft picks in the upcoming draft, their first round pick and their seventh round pick. And now they also have Winnipeg's third. Oh, well, good for them. It looks like, uh, you know, I, I wonder with, with all these trades, uh, how far up the TSA and tra- TSN trade bait list that first round pick is now. Uh, I assume it's somewhere yeah. near number three. Uh, because everybody else... probably, There's basically no way it's getting traded now, which makes it all the more ridiculous that it was ever on there to begin with. Yeah, just all the more stupid. What I, I don't know who, who made that call. We already ragged on this. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> a week later and it's or maybe two weeks later and it's even stupider than it was before uh so you'll love to see it but anyways um so so yeah you talk about the least defenseman i think uh they can't i don't think they can trust muzzin uh to return and play con- you know they can't rely on his health anymore basically right uh we see him get injured now and then and it seems like you know uh this one's a pretty serious injury where he's held out so you know when he does come back i'm sure he'll be healthy enough to play uh but I, I strongly doubt he'll be anywhere near 100%. Um, so, you know, Jordano really kind of shores that up. And you can have some some confidence in that Toronto defense and, you know, com- and, their, and their depth, which you haven't been able to say for a while, um, at least with this degree of confidence. Uh, and so, yeah, that sets them up for the playoff push if you, uh, you know, close your eyes and you don't look at the goaltending. Yeah, even even with, if you, if you did have, like, total confidence in Muzzin, a couple years ago in the bubble against Columbus, uh, he got injured in kind of a freak accident, and the Maple Leafs defense totally fell apart. And with how strong their top four pairs are, um, there's no one defenseman who, if you go down, I'm worried the Leafs defense is in shambles anymore. And that's something I can't remember ever being able to be said about that team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so good work by Kyle Dubas there. Um, do we want to touch on the uh, the goaltending situation in Toronto, uh, which seems Go to right be kind of, I, I don't even know what the hell, deteriorating by the day, because now Peter Mrazek's on, on waivers, uh, and they're bringing in, uh, who is it, Harry Sateri from Finland. Uh, who, who yeah, they just Harry Sateri. So you'll love to see it. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, the Leafs goaltending situation, Jack Campbell's been injured. He's had a horrible month and a half, and we've mentioned it before. Um, but yeah, now, uh, who is it? What, what's his first name? Hallgren? Uh, Eric Shogren. Eric, Eric Shogren. Uh, apparently the goalie of the present for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's played, like, what, two, three games? And he's won them both. Uh, so uh, He has played four games, and oh. he is a 930. Well, there we go. 
Uh, so <laughs> they have found the uh, most band-aid of band-aids, most temporary of band-aids, we think. We don't know. Uh, but uh, man, that is, if you're really leaning on Eric, Eric Schalgren, uh, makes you wonder what's going on. And so uh, oof, the, the, it's really now the one black hole that nobody can, you know, stop talking about in Toronto. Well, I think we were, you know, everyone was all nervous about it when Jack Campbell was doing really badly and Peter Mrazek was also doing really badly. Um, and then Jack Campbell was put on the IR and they call up Eric Schalgren and Schalgren's been great and Mrazek is on waivers. And I actually think I'm less nervous about the least goalies than I was because A, Campbell doing so badly, um, I think perhaps he was playing with some kind of nagging injury that he's now taking the time off to heal. Uh, even if that's not the case, even if he was totally healthy uh, and just playing badly, I think this time off for recovery is probably going to get him back into a better headspace to perform the way he had been his entire Toronto tenure up until now. Um, so I'm not going too crazy about that relatively small sample size where he is pretty bad. Compounded with the fact that Eric Schalgren seems to be pretty good. And I know it's only been four games, um, but now there is this kind of... Uh, the, the, basically, you you have more faith in your depth. Um, just that in this very small audition, Eric Schalgren has shown that he can definitely hold his own. So I'm relatively comfortable with Jack Campbell. Uh, and I'm also, for the time being, as kind of a stopgap, okay with Eric Schalgren being there. So I don't think I don't think uh, goaltending is as much of a nightmare as some are maybe making it out to be for the Leafs. I don't know. Are we are we that quick to buy like Eric Schalgren as a, you know, bona fide like NHL backup kind of player that you can plug in? Like it's as been a four games. Gap. Or even as yeah. a stop gap. Even as a stop gap. I mean he's been good. Well at the very least he's a oh if Campbell and Morassic both continue to be awful, we got this guy waiting in the wings. Like, if that's a great option to have, rather than is just it? we have nothing if you suck. Is it? Like, okay, yeah, he's better Absolutely. than nothing. He's been a pleasant surprise, but I'm I'm surprised, like, you know, I, I you know, people are just, like, are, are all of a sudden put at ease with the concept of this guy who, like, most of us had not heard of prior to, like, 10 days ago, you know? Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not saying I was like, oh, problem solved. Eric Schalgren's had a good four games. I'm just saying that this is a boost to the situation that is that is welcome. Yes, there. How's, yeah. how's that? That, that, that? I would have to agree with with that statement. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it's still a big, big worry because. It's not about the stopgap. It's not about oh, we need to uh, win these next five regular season games. Right for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's we need to win a playoff round this fucking year. Right, <laughs> this is it. We yeah. need to be confident into it. And you can't say that with Eric Schalgren. And honestly, right now, it's you know it's possible Jack Campbell. It's very possible Jack Campbell comes back and he comes back to his you know whatever October form or even like three quarters of his October form would be fine. Um, but I think there's just too much of a pro- possibility that you know he still stinks when he comes back. That it makes you worry quite a bit if you're a Maple Leafs fan. And I don't know, I don't get how they got so assuaged so quickly. Well, I th- I think the way I'm thinking about this is before we knew Shalgren was like going to have four good NHL games, what we had was Mrazic is clearly terrible, like bad, bad. And Jack Campbell is playing badly now. 
And if Campbell continues to do so in the playoffs, we're basically cooked. And now there's there's a, a, a an option. There's a possibility that if Campbell sucks in the playoffs, we may not be cooked because Eric Schalgren has been pretty <laughs> good so far. There, that's all I'm saying. All right, sure. We we can leave it at that. Um, but you know the prospect of playing Eric Schalgren in the playoffs against Tampa Bay or Florida or whoever that happens to be is uh is a is a yikes if you ask me. Uh, and uh, I would say you might as well call them cooked. But you know, we shall see. Um, all right. So, so yeah. Speaking of Travis Dermott, as we were a minute ago. <laughs> oh yeah, as we were speaking of the Leafs. Former former Travis Dermott was on them, and now he's on Vancouver. Carry yeah, on. Shout, shout out to you. you. You sent me a list, uh, a logical order to speak about these trades. So these transitions are just flawless and planned. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about... <laughs> You're exposing me. I wanted to seem all natural and stuff. Exposing you. I'm giving you credit for that, you know, some elite preparation on your end, I got to say. Um, so, yeah. All right, we have, thank we have you. Travis Dermott um, going to the Canucks, where, as I said earlier... You know, good for Vancouver for kind of taking a flyer on the guy. Uh, doesn't cost too much. A third round pick is fine for a guy who's played in the NHL, who I think is around like 25 years old, uh, and you know, under contract for next year too. So you know, see how see if he works out. Uh, and uh, the other trade they made to uh, get a third round pick uh, was one that you know <laughs> we were texting about before, right when it broke, uh, because it makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. Uh, and for once, Vancouver. Isn't the one that you're, you know, isn't the team that you're scratching your head about? Uh, they come out, they come away like Bond villains uh, because they traded away Travis Hamanick, um, noted anti-vaxer or vaccine hesitant dude, uh, to the Ottawa fucking Senators. Uh, Travis Hamanick on a three million dollar contract this year and next, uh, in return for a third round pick. Uh, and this is one where uh, it's like, what are you doing, Pierre? What are you doing, Pierre? And I'm talking to both of them. Well, what can you say? The rebuild is over. Am I right? <laughs> you know, they have enough high-end young talent to win Stanley Cups 10 years in a row. And when you're in that situation, despite the fact that you are nowhere close to making the playoffs this year, and when you have the chance to acquire a bottom-pairing 31-year-old defenseman signed for a year after this a $3 million cap it, Especially when a comparable player who's younger and making a little bit less, Philippe Myers, was on waivers yesterday and passed through. You just have to do it. You just have to. In all seriousness, thank you to the Ottawa Senators for being the absolute clowns of the deadline this year. For being, where are where are they in the league? Twenty, Like the mid-20s, it has to be. And they said, you know what we are? We're buyers this year, but we, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. So we, we're buying a player uh, who's also under contract next year so that next year we might make the playoffs with the help from Travis Hamanick, a noted right shot defenseman who was traded for a first round pick once. Um, Ottawa is just absolutely clowning to honestly uh, taking a lot of the attention away from some other, some other teams who were clowning today, just because this logic does not track at all. The Senators are totally deluded about what they are and how good they could possibly be in the near future. Um, especially considering the fact that they have zero good goalies. They don't have a good goalie in the entire organization. And I feel like they think they have like at least two or three. Um, and it's just a total nightmare for them. 
And Vancouver, on the other hand, more or less traded Travis Hamnick for Travis Dermott, which we were talk we were all talking about how you know Vancouver they just love to collect those bad defensemen, and now they basically traded a bad one for a slightly better and younger and cheaper one. So an excellent two moves for them, and just a totally brain fart move from the Pierre's and Eugene down in Ottawa. You know they're just galaxy burning everything. You know they're 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 stocking up for their uh push next year their playoff push their stanley cup push um just incredible i, I just <laughs> what's the first of all what's the point of acquiring him at the deadline this couldn't have waited for the summer well you were that you, you were so pressed to improve well, your he's, standing. Gonna, he's gonna fit in he's gotta you know start gelling yeah, with his right. new defense partner nick holden or victor mete or whatever the fuck yeah <laughs> right that makes a ton of sense um no it's just like what, what are you doing like nobody wants you here at the buyer's table, all right? Uh, and uh, you know, I just say it's completely baffling to me. I don't know who's running that organization. A bunch of clowns. Because uh, uh, yeah, I really cannot process the the thought process that went into let's acquire Travis Hamonic right now for a third round pick, when you know he is a cap liability at this point. Travis Hamonic is a bona fide cap liability at three million dollars signed next year as well. Uh, and I, you know, I'm surprised Eugene Melnick signed off on this because I didn't know he had that kind of money, but apparently he does. Uh, and <laughs> you went and spent it today on a player who stinks, who's like sub replacement level, third pairing dude. Uh, and I just don't understand. They're, I just don't understand what Ottawa's doing. And you're right. They're just deluding themselves into thinking, you know, unprecedented success or whatever, not seeing that they are in the basement right now and there is no hope for moving up. All right. Like Josh Norris is great and all. But this team ain't going anywhere fast. Uh, so anywhere soon. And this this unparalleled success, uh, you nowhere to be seen whatsoever. The Senators are tied for fourth last in the entire National Hockey League this year. And they're buyers at the deadline. And they're buyers at the deadline. Remember we, we were dunking on the Sabres two years ago when they went out and acquired Wayne Simmons? Um, at least they could have feasibly gotten really good and made the playoffs there actually they could have feasibly won like one extra game and made the playoffs in the bubble which of course they didn't know at the time um but ottawa has no hope this year and yet they're giving up draft picks for terrible defensemen who are signed for one year after this and who are 31 years old it's 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 got to be one of the dumbest trades ever made at the deadline I mean, just based not in terms of like how lopsided it is, even though it is lopsided, even if this were any other team, we would be dunking on them for giving up a third rounder for the terrible Travis Hamannick. But the fact that it's a team who is the Ottawa Senators makes it that much worse. Truly, it, it's a it's it's a lack of awareness of where you are as an organization that is uh, beyond baffling. I mean, like we saw on Twitter, uh, like as as the news was breaking, you know, they, we didn't know what the return was. It just says Hamannick to the Hamannick to the Sens, and we just saw, yeah, I, at least I did. Uh, you know, Sens Twitter going, all right, this better be like we better have got we we better have gotten something in addition to Travis Hamannick as a cap dump from the from the cat from the uh, Canucks. Nope, but <laughs> no, they gave up a third, um, and. Yeah, no, if you think about it right now, so far they've made two trades, right? Uh, they have, like, gone down in the draft. They have given up a third and gotten back a fourth in that Nick Paul trade uh, in, in a deadline where they're, you know, allegedly buyers. Uh, so I don't know what the hell's up with that. Uh, and, you know, at least when the Sabres got out and got Wayne Simmons, uh, they got someone cool. I uh, can't say the same about Travis Hamannick. Yeah, Travis Hamannick, formerly traded for 
a first and two second round picks or something like that way back in but you know, that was 2017 that that deal happened I'm pretty sure uh and the first round pick turned into Noah Dobson who the Islanders drafted so uh at the time when we were saying wow why is everyone wanting to willing to give up so much for Travis Hamonick we we were correct because the Islanders got Noah Dobson out of it and two other draft picks who I'd never heard of yeah, so apparently he's just one of those dudes that uh, general manager just you know completely infatuated and have uh, and, and have a propensity to overpay for time and time again. Uh, even his contract is too much, right? That he just signed last off season. So uh, you know, must be nice to you know be Travis Hamonic. Uh That's that. I feel was there at a certain point the t- a talk of like a Travis Hamonic extension that was going to give him like 5 million AAV or something like that. I don't know why that rings a bell. It, it never happened looking at his contract history. His AAV was like under 4 for the last one on uh, on a 7-year deal. You know, it would fit the bill though. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it would fit the bill absolutely. If that was a wrist and it could happen to Hamonic. Exactly. So I wouldn't, you know what? I I, I buy it. I, I trust your judgment on that one. Uh because uh, I'm sure some team was talking about it before his contract was up. Yeah. Speaking of some team, here's some other team. Minnesota. Uh they made some deals. They made two deals actually. First one of which uh was the trading of Nico Sturm to the Colorado Avalanche for Tyson Jost. This one was pretty funny because Tyson Jost uh, is decidedly more well-known, partly because he was a 10th overall pick and, you know, World Junior Team Canada, all that stuff. But he has not come into his own at all in the NHL, and he is 24 years old now, I believe, uh, somewhere around there. Uh, Nico, Sturm, Nico Sturm, meanwhile, is a little bit older and a little bit better some might say, uh, but decidedly cheaper. Whereas Tyson Jones is two million against the cap. Nico Sturm is making less than league min, I think, seven two five k. So Colorado is acquiring a player with you know less of a ceiling, perhaps in terms of long term potential, but one who is cheaper significantly, but also one who is not under team control at the end of the year. Right, so this is this is one where Colorado's interests are clearly in the now, in the short term, right? They're trying to win this year, uh, and this trade does exactly that. It gives them more cap space to work with, uh, I guess, tomorrow, uh, and it, it makes them slightly better, you might say. It makes them, uh, and yeah, you don't, you, there's no, like, uh, you know, you're not tied to Jost uh, at the end of the year or anything. And so, yeah, they, it's a win for Colorado in that sense, uh, and, you know, the, the, the cap maneuver, Honestly, I think the cap maneuverability uh, plays a, you know, honestly might be the biggest perk here uh, because that Sturm Jost uh, upgrade is is relatively minor. Uh, so, you know, gives them more room to play with. And for Minnesota, I guess they just, you know, they want to take on that Tyson Jost project because, uh, you know, Sturm was going to walk at the end of the year or presumably, and they just, you know, weren't interested in re-signing him. So that looks to be uh, two different interests uh, for two playoff teams too. Yeah. Uh, Jost does feel like the type of guy that Minnesota would like and would perhaps be able to, you know, get the most out of. Kind of in the like Kevin Fiala mold, he was like, it was a high draft pick too. He was kind of like, you know, not really making the most of himself in in Nashville, and he clicked not long after getting to Minnesota. I don't think Tyson Jost has as much 
offensive talent as Ken Fiala or is going to be that good. But I definitely see, you know, um, perhaps more of an opportunity for him to excel that wouldn't have been there very frequently in Colorado, even though he did get, you know, a few opportunities with, uh, you know, Renton and McKinnon or some of their top guns. Uh, they were few and far between, and they were also very tinted with uh, if if you're not doing so well after like two games and we're putting you back on the fourth line, and that's never such a great environment for, for a player to grow in and reach their full potential. No, absolutely not. That kind of yo-yoing uh, of a player's role, it just doesn't let them develop and, and blossom into that role. So uh, I think, yeah, the, the key word is opportunity for, for Tyson Jost in particular uh, as he moves to Minnesota because, yeah, there was just Colorado's too deep for him to really kind of establish anything, and I think that's kind of hindered his uh, his development. That and, you know, you know player development is just kind of, you know, it is what it is sometimes, and some players just don't blossom. Uh, but I think, you know, we see that opportunity is a big factor, and with Minnesota, uh, he should get some more playing time in a more steady role, uh, and I think that'll be good for him. And, you know, if he works out, it'll be definitely in Minnesota at, compared to, you know, Colorado. One of uh, my uncles and I have a kind of an inside joke about Tyson Jost because apparently when he was watching the draft that year in 2016, um, I probably like on NHL Network or something, I guess one of the analysts when Tyson Jost was drafted or when they were talking about him was like, oh, this guy, the next Jonathan Taves, he's going to be a future captain. Just wait and see. And we were watching Jost like the World Juniors later that year and we were like, oh, there he is, future captain, next Jonathan Taves. And every time Tyson Jost comes up, we make that exact same joke. And the fact that Tyson Jost's uh, development curve has not gone as well as he would have hoped for and that he is nowhere close to being a captain or a top-line center type of player makes the bit even funnier. Yeah, so what do you know? That <laughs> that draft analyst was dead wrong. Um, so, uh, well, there we go. We shall, we shall see with Tyson Jost. Um, all right, on to uh, Minnesota's other trade. Uh, this one is uh, significantly dumber, I got to say. Uh, they go ahead and trade with Anaheim. Uh, they trade a third-round pick for fucking Nick Delorier. Nick uh, <laughs> Delorier. I don't know how he's still in the league. And I don't know how he's still uh, you know, getting traded for at the deadline. Mystifying. Wasn't there some rumor last year that someone was offering like a first-round pick for Delorier or something crazy? Or maybe that was like an ask. They're asking for a first-rounder. Um... Oh, the other one was Curtis McDermott. <laughs> I vaguely rings a bell that LA was like, we want a first round pick for Curtis McDermott or something like that. I don't think it it's totally true because they ended up trading him for a fourth rounder in the summer, which is still an extremely high price to pay for Curtis McDermott. But I guess there's something, just something about Nick Delorier where he's big and he fights a lot uh, and his penalty minute totals are always quite high, and they've been particularly high this season. He's already at 90 and 61 games, um, which, Minnesota, if that's attractive to you, go right ahead. Put him on your fourth line. See if yeah. I care. <laughs> uh, I just got to say, going back to that Curtis McDermott thing, that is a case study in why you you know play the long game in these trade negotiations and you anchor a price um because you know you're like i want a first for curtis mcdermott everyone's like what the fuck that's crazy nobody's <laughs> gonna pay that uh and then when you trade him for a fourth like everybody's like haha they were crazy for thinking that they could get a first out of curtis mcdermott look they only got a fourth uh but in reality you got a fourth round pick for curtis mcdermott when in reality he's probably worth a seventh uh so 
you know, it, it works. It works. And it would have worked for Giordano had they, you know, kind of planned that ahead at all. Uh, but anyways, back to Deloria. Yeah, I just... Man, what does he bring? He fights. He's he hits. Oh, oh, oh like he's big. That's cool. Um, but uh, <laughs> about Minnesota, I don't know why I'm spending a third round pick uh, on this dude when there are other players who, uh, you know, cost the third and are significantly better and will do more things than you know Nick Delorier at all of, of all people. Do you want to know the real losers of the Nick Delorier trade? Please, who is it? The Montreal Canadiens. Do you want to know why? Why is that? June thirtieth, two thousand nineteen. Montreal trades a Nick Delorier to Anaheim for a fourth-round pick. Clowns. I remember thinking at the time, that's insane. Nick Delorier sucks, and they got a fourth-round <laughs> pick for him. Amazing. How, a super big win. Now we can see, with hindsight, they should have held on to him. Gave him that three-year contract or whatever the Ducks gave to him. And his value, by this point, would have gone up one round. And Montreal would have gotten the third-rounder instead of the fourth-rounder. Yeah, so for Anaheim, that's a crazy investment, you know? Just just a full <laughs> round over two years or three years. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Um, but you well, know what? <laughs> yeah, it's both it's theft though. They just they just they just like stole a third round pick from Minnesota. Um yeah, I don't know how these things even fucking happen. It, it beats me. I don't know how why people are adding Nick Delore at the deadline. Um it's mystifying. But here we are. This is the world we live in. Yeah. Uh and that was probably the least notable player that the Ducks traded. Um, actually, like the first deal of the week, I think, was the Josh Manson trade. Um, he was sent to Colorado for what I thought was an extremely reasonable price of Drew Hellison and a second-round pick. Drew Hellison himself was a second-round pick not long ago, so it's more or less equivalent to two second-round picks. I think Josh Manson slots in very nicely on the Avalanche on that second pairing, most likely, behind Kale McCarr on the right side. Uh, Sam Gerrard is injured at the moment, as well as Bowen Byram. I'm not sure if Byram's even going to be back this year, but Gerrard probably will be. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at a top four of, you know, McCarr, Taves, Gerrard, and Josh Manson rounds that top four out rather than, say, Eric Johnson or Ryan Murray. And it's a massive upgrade. Uh, And I uh, think the Ducks made out decently well. I've never been a super big Josh Manson fan. People were talking about him as like a premier shutdown defenseman. I never saw that as, as the case necessarily, even though he's a pretty good defensive defenseman. But Drew Hellison's grown on me as a prospect. I think he's like, if I'm remembering correctly, he's like sort of stylistically similar to Josh Manson and could potentially grow into that uh, that type of player, plus another second-round pick on top of it. So I'd say out of all the deals made this week, this is the only one that struck me as totally fair you know this seemed like like one of the only sane uh deals involving a defenseman you know um yeah where, like, <laughs> the value For one reason or another wasn't through the roof exactly uh so yeah you know josh manson is a fine bottom four guy uh and the the, the one thing is you know imagine what they could have gotten you know anaheim should have traded this guy much like you know maybe not lindholm because he got so much this year uh but uh, you know, with Manson, his value has kind of gone down in the last two years. Um, and you think, you know, what could have been? Uh, you probably could have, you definitely could have gotten a first uh, plus a prospect for Josh Manson going back a couple years. But, uh, you know, it's a fair return now. And for the Avs, you know, they, they get the, the 50% retention on him. They fit him in the cap. And yeah, he's fine as defensive depth. You know, I don't think he's particularly good. But, at, you know, at this point in his career as a defensive defenseman, uh, but he's fine. And he'll he'll do his depth. And they're just kind of shoring it up, making sure, you know, they're, they're not too vulnerable to injuries and things like that as they, uh, you know, go for it all, as they say. 
Yeah. Uh, with Colorado, we were talking about like you know the Sturm Jost trade and their cap clearing move. As it stands right now, I just checked. I'm going back to the page now. They have almost three million dollars in cap space. If they traded Jost for Sturm to clear up that room, and they don't use that room tomorrow, that kind of feels like like a miscalculation or a fat L. Uh, and I I know that you know they probably will make some kind of deal. Uh, I think, you know, Manson addressed the defense. I think they would be probably looking for, you know, depth forwards. You probably don't want, uh, you know, Darren Helm uh, playing every game for you in the playoffs. And you don't want Curtis McDermott on the left wing on the fourth line, which is where he's apparently right now. Uh, so that, I think, absolutely has to be what Colorado is looking for. And with the, that cap space, um, no names really come to mind, but someone who's making almost $6 million with half-retained is someone that you can now afford on your team without giving up a, a single roster player. So I think whoever the top guns are at forward, Colorado should absolutely be in the mix. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, with the, with the Giroux trade, they were rumored to be in it before, you know, Florida kind of jumped in. And uh, so, you know, now the question is now what, right? Like they were apparently like uh, yeah, really yeah. hard in, uh, on Giroux. So it's like, what do you do with that cap space? I think that's, was their plan a um, try to get Claude, uh, but yeah, no, you you definitely do anticipate a move coming. Um, I I don't think it's such a fat L. I think that's <laughs> because you know it's like Nico Sturm Tyson joke. You know, like it's that yeah. You could argue you made an upgrade there already in itself. Um, you know, the only L is like oh you had Anaheim retained, so you probably paid more for Manson. Um, but you know, no no big deal. You, you didn't overpay for Manson anyways. Uh, so but yeah, th- definitely they have more cap space than most teams do, or a lot of these contenders do, uh, heading into tomorrow. Trade, trade, breaking news. Ooh. Sounds like Minnesota is trading Jack McBain to Arizona in exchange for Vancouver's 2022 second round pick. Um, this this guy, he was a third round pick of Minnesota, I think in 2018, and has been at Boston College and either didn't want to isn't wanting to sign with Minnesota or they just can't get a deal done for some reason. So they were saying like, Oh, he's going to be traded somewhere. And now he has, and it's the coyotes. Um, and you would imagine that Arizona has gotten permission to talk to him because if not, and Jack McBain says, I don't want to sign here. then he just becomes a UFA in like a month. Yeah. So <laughs> it would be the most Arizona thing to be like, all right, here's the second. We want the rights for a month and then not sign him. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think they reached that level of incompetence. Uh, so, you know, yeah, the Jack McBain, the second-round pick was the price I've heard in different rumors. I heard the Habs weren't on him, and there were discussions around a second-round pick for him. And so, you know, I don't, I haven't really heard of the guy before, uh, but I assume if, uh, you know, teams are willing to give up that kind of draft capital, he's had a good, good college season this year. Yeah, uh, totally unrelated. But on my Twitter feed, uh, NYR fan 92360244, who you may remember as a likely Tony D'Angelo burner account. Uh, Remember, Tony D'Angelo is on the Hurricanes now. This account still says NYR fan and still has the New York Rangers logo. And the Rangers uh, just beat the Hurricanes 2-0. And NYR fan tweeted, congrats on your Stanley Cup, NYR fans. Enjoy this because you won't have much to celebrate the rest of the season. (laughs) <laughs> uh, wait so what, what's going on here 
What's going on? Is someone okay? So, so this kind of eliminates the possibility. Is now a Hurricanes fan, coincidentally. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. This eliminates the possibility that we're talking about just an innocent Rangers fan. Uh, This is either a a Tony D'Angelo stan, which, first of all, I doubt A exists. And even if they do, B, they would go to such lengths to disguise the fact. They definitely exist. They absolutely exist. You're absolutely right. Uh, But they, what I, what I meant to say is that they wouldn't go to this length to disguise themselves as a not Tony D'Angelo fan and as a New York Rangers fan instead. If it feels excessive, you know, if I was a Tony D'Angelo fan and I had NYR fan, whatever, I would change it to you know CAR fan, whatever. so yeah, this this leaves only two options. Uh, a that we have uh, someone who's committed to the bit, as they say, uh, and has from day one committed to uh, faking faking us all out and trying to convince us that this is indeed Tony D'Angelo. Or B, it's actually Tony D'Angelo. Uh, and uh, I don't know. This is such a nuanced really twist. Dumb. It's well, yeah, yeah. Who's <laughs> really that dumb? Which you know. That's not too much of a stretch of the imagination. Uh, but oh, not at you all. know, it's uh. It, it's a little nuanced twist here. This little, uh, this 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 heel turn uh, into a Carolina Hurricanes fan. It really shows some serious foresight. Uh, either way, well, maybe not if it was Tony D'Angelo, but if it was uh, someone faking us all out, they are, uh, yeah, committing to the bit is is exactly how I would put it. For sure, um, and the Bruins are committing to the bit of getting more defensemen. How was that? Excellent. Thank you. All right. Hampus Lindholm. This is a weird one. This is a very weird deal in a lot of ways. Um, I was talking last week. We're like, oh, what's Boston going to do? Are they going to maybe like go for Raquel or some other names like JT Miller we were talking about is probably not going to be moving. Uh, but the consensus that we both came to was they are they're going to want to bolster their forwards. Or maybe make a splash on defense. And the name we mentioned was Jacob Chikrin. And Hampus Lindholm is probably a somewhat comparable player to Jacob Chikrin. And honestly, I don't even think the price they paid in the deal, including the first round pick, was too crazy. Maybe my judgment is skewed by what Sherratt fetched um, because Lindholm got like only a little bit more than that. But what I think is weird about it is two things. A... Uh, upon further knowledge that I've gained since last week, the Bruins' defense has been amazing this season. Uh, according to Jay Fresh, I think Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick playing together have like a 70% expected goals percentage, uh, which is the best in the league of any defensive pairing. So if you're getting Lindholm to put on a pairing with McAvoy, it's kind of just like, why would you do that? Why are you spending your assets on changing the best pair in the entire NHL? Um and the rest of the defensemen have been very good, too. Uh, now, the left side doesn't have any flashy names like a Charlie McAvoy type, which maybe leads some to believe that like they needed an upgrade. But based on the raw results, you didn't. And your assets were uh, by far would have been better spent uh, going after a forward. Going after, I don't know, someone like Nick Paul, who was just dealt. Or Raquel, who's still on the market, rather than Hampus Lindholm. And this is also made significantly worse by the fact that they signed him to an eight-year extension, $6.5 million per year, until he, until the year 2030, when Hampus Lindholm is 36 years old. And he's 28 now, and he he's already seems to be starting his slow decline 
which will perhaps accelerate greatly in the near future. Right. Uh, so yeah, there, there are two aspects. I'll start with the extensions and that's where you uh, kind of left off. Um, yeah, it, it's too much. It's too long uh, for a player who, yeah, we've seen, you know, analytically that he's already, his play has started to decline significantly in the last two years, which is why I was like, you know, Anaheim should have traded him two years ago, but it seems that, you know, they got a price that matched what his play was two years ago. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you know, paying six and a half million dollars for eight years for this guy is just too much. It's too long. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's going to, be an anchor but like you know it's not going to age well uh and i don't i don't see this you know being a net positive like three four years down the road um but i guess you know that's the cost of trying to go in all, all in with this you know bergeron if he's still there next year and, and Marshawn and pasternak um yeah so so that's that i don't like the extension at all but as for the uh you know the the trade i guess it's the cost of doing business you know i think it's a slight overpay i think anaheim uh comes off of this trade as the better one of the two um, because, you know, yeah, Hampus Lindholm has not been that good this year, and they got a first and two seconds for him. Uh, and, like, Erho Vakaninen, uh, depending on, you know, how good you think he is as a youngish defenseman. Um, so, you know, they got a Sherratt X, you know, more than Sherratt uh, kind of haul, which, great for them. You know, you make out like bandits. Uh, and for Boston, yeah, they shore up their defensive, uh, you know, their defense as they make up this, they go down the stretch. You're right, absolutely. They There are better ways to spend your assets, but you know, I, I think it's it's fine uh, because it seems that they were trying to do this for a while, uh, despite their current defensive on ice results. I'm looking something up right now, and it's 2017 hockey reference Ducks conference final because I want to see what their defense looked like. Um, I remember I think around 2017 was like the golden age for this now pretty much defunct era of Anaheim Ducks having like the best defense defense core in the world. All right, here it is. There's this uh, series that where they lost to the Predators. Uh, there looks like their defenseman who played um, Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Montour, Cam Fowler, and Sammy Vatanen all played six games. Shea Theodore and Kevin Bieksa each played three. And I know, you know, we're looking back, uh, almost five years later, going, oh, Brandon Montour kind of sucks. Sammy Vatnan's not even in the NHL anymore. But at the time, that was that was the gold standard. Yeah. Um, and they, I think, by any metric, have been by far like the best at drafting and developing defensemen over the past like ten to fifteen years. And I just gotta say, it's kind of a miracle that out of out of all these guys, Camp Fowler's the one that's actually lasted the longest. <laughs> Because it feels like he's been in trade rumors since like 2015. <laughs> no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, it, 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 and for for Anaheim, it feels like it's really been a kind of slow decay uh, since that conference final. You could talk about it for the whole franchise, honestly, up until this point. Uh, and you know, obviously, the defense is kind of shit now. Uh, now that you know everybody else is gone and. Even the old guys hadn't been good anymore for a while. They basically they just traded their top pair, basically. So that kind of tracks. Right. Yeah. No. But even before then, uh, their top pairing was not very good this year. Like you know, Manson and Lindholm had seen significant declines, uh, in, even just in the last year, last two years. Uh, so you know, like at the start of the year, this was not a good defense core, and your your hopes kind of rest with Jamie Drysdale moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jamie Drysdale has played sixty three games. Uh, it looks like. That is all except one that the Ducks have played because Kevin Shattenkirk is at 64. There's also Cam Fowler at 60. And the other defenseman 
uh, listed in their lineup right now um, are Simone Benoit on the second pairing, <laughs> a bottom pairing of Josh Mahura and Andre Schuster. That's a blast from the past. And John Moore as the seventh defenseman with uh, Uro Vakanainen, the recently acquired on injured reserve, and the likes of Jakob Larson, Greg Pattern, and Brendan Gooley on uh, non-roster. Interesting. Uh, that is uh, not good. Um, so yeah, John Boris goes straight into the lineup from the Bruins. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the state of the ducks. I, I got to say, you know, moving forward, uh, they've done well to, to sell, to sell their defensemen. Uh, we'll see if they sell Raquel. Uh, and if they do, I mean, you combine the returns that they've gotten at this point is what, like, uh, three seconds of first and like Drew Hellison, they did exactly what they should, which was, uh, you know, call, call it quits on this year. Yep, um, they certainly did. Uh, Raquel, I was did I mention Raquel when you're talking about Colorado? Like with the space they have, that should be like Ooh, the next yeah. name they're really gunning for. Oh yeah, because it absolutely is. hundred percent. You're right. Um, that seems to be a a one fit. Um, for Colorado, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can even put Nachushkin back on the third line, uh, where which he might even be too good for. Uh, which, you know, you want to have players too good for your third line on a third line. Um, I feel like Boston, is, especially because we were talking about the fact that they really needed a second-line center, and now, like, you know, uh, there aren't really any unless you want to, like, put Ricard Raquel at center or but get Andrew Kopp and make him your second-line center. It doesn't look like there's any any fit in the market. And partly, that's because the San Jose Sharks decided... Oh, wow. That, you line that one up. You line that one up. There. <laughs> instead of trading Thomas Hurdle and getting many, many great things that they said, you know, on our roster, what we don't have enough of eight year contracts, um, eight year contracts to players who are nearing the end of their primes and or way past their primes. Uh, from back when we made some deep playoff runs in 2016 and in 2019, uh, because Thomas Hurdle has now just joined the club, signing an eight-year deal, brings him till 2030, just like Lindholm's. And he was actually drafted the same year as Lindholm, so they're the same age. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is going to be 36 years old, making $8.1375 million against the cap. Um Logan Couture is also on his eight-year deal. He is 32 now, signed $8 million till 2027. We've, of course, have Eric Carlson signed till 2027 at $11.5 million. Uh, Brent Burns has three years left after this. Mark Edward Vlasic has four years left after this. And those two players combined for $15 million against the cap. Uh, and it looks like they are just doubling down with this new hurdle extension. Does... Doug Wilson just not learn. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Why? Why? You look at that cap situation. You look at the way, you know, the NHL, you got to have a good cap situation. You got to, you know, manage your assets well. Um, and they have done the complete opposite of that with their, you know, aging players. And so they are not going to be good anytime soon uh, in the next five years. So they need to rebuild. And they look at this 28-year-old who, oh God, I, you know, like, He's great and all, you know, first line center, whatever. But he is going to provide more value traded right now than he ever will in the next eight years of this contract. You know, especially near the end of it, obviously. 
Um, but certainly your short term short term does not have any playoffs written all over it. Um, so the you know his maximum contributions to the franchise, uh, they won't mean shit because you're not do- going anywhere. Uh, so it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense uh, to keep Hurdle on until uh, he's 36. He's 28 right now. He, he, you know, contention windows and all, he doesn't fit. Uh, and so, you know, dumbass move. The contract is fine for Thomas Hurdle, I guess. Like he was going to get something on the open market. But the team, it's just not a fit. It's not a fit. Uh, so, yeah, they, you know, they should have just traded him to Boston or whatever the fuck. Anybody that they would have given them a, a hell of a haul because Thomas Hurdle is at, like lighting it up this year. Uh, they would have gotten the the world, the moon, uh, for for a second line center like him, and it's mystifying why they didn't, you know, trade him. Why did they resign him? I don't get it. Everyone's focusing on the eight years. Is is this guy even like an eight point one million dollar center? Like, I maybe think, like, I, I think, think it's a, yeah, not in eight years, but currently I think he is. Uh, maybe like I don't know. I feel like. It's like seven to seven and a half is probably like more reasonable. Like even just that AAV is kind of when you really think about it, it's like what there are some great players in that range. Um and I'm not sure if, if Hurdle is really there or if he's just like a very high end second line center. And a very high end second line center um is not someone I want to be giving over eight million dollars to in even just just one year. Yeah, no, you, you you might be right. Uh, it might just be downhill from this year, and that he just kind of topped out uh, on on a good team as a second line center. Uh, so yeah, no, but it, it, even in that case, but even so, you're saying even in a vacuum, uh, this contract might be pretty bad. Um, but you know, you, you put that on the Sharks, and it's uh, it's exponentially worse. Uh, and yeah, you, you gotta question what Doug Wilson's mindset is, right? What is he doing? I don't understand. Like, what's his vision for the team? You know, uh, you got to have a vision, just like Seattle's lost without a vision with under Ron Francis. Uh, it seems like Doug Wilson doesn't know what he's doing. He's like handcuffed to these shit deals and uh, doesn't really know the way forward. Doesn't want to rebuild. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe he he's trying to fight for his job and we know how that kind of pans out with GMs. Yeah, I'm going into next season and looking around at the players making about the same as Hurdle. Um, the, so the ones above him, uh, Brady Kachuk, Jakob Voracek, Blake Wheeler, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Miro Heiskanen, not great. Then we get into Sebastian Ajo, 8.46, Leon Dreisettle, 8.5, Steven Stamkos, 8.5, Mika Zibanejad, 8.5, that type of thing. Then right under him, Matt Duchesne, 8 million, all these at 8 million, Brent Burns, Ryan Johansson, Jacob Truba, John Carlson. So I guess, you know, when you look at it through that lens, then you have Logan Couture. Uh, wait, did I just say Logan? Did I some names are popping up here twice. That's weird. <laughs> anyway, Nick Suzuki at, you know, just under eight starting next season. When you look at it through that lens, maybe it's like, okay, this is worse than some of the deals, but decidedly better than many. So maybe it's a fair number. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a fair number in a vacuum, right? That's the, yeah. that's, that's the caveat you have to keep saying, right? Because, yeah, know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're living in some vacuum here. Yeah, we are. I can't breathe. There's no air in here, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's just it, it, from the Sharks' perspective, it's complete nonsense, uh, and it's just a sign. It's the sign you need that you need to fire the general manager immediately when he when he does nonsense shit like this. That kind of indicates that he's fighting for his job. Means you need to you know fire the guy, get someone in who's going to actually rebuild, and that's this plan because uh, Doug Wilson does not plan on rebuilding apparently, uh, and that is a red flag, big fat red flag. 
All right. In this final act of this episode, actually, no, not we have like two two more acts left. Um, the penultimate act I think has to be who's been by far the most exciting team this week. It's the Panthers. Uh, maybe not by far, but they've been the most exciting to me. Um, they've made four deals. First was a cap clearing trade, uh, sending Frank Vitrano to the Rangers for a fourth round pick. Uh, and then it was a terrible trade. Ben Sherratt. Here we go. We're talking about it now. Finally, you might remember not long ago on this podcast, I said, Habs fans, temper your expectations. I have a feeling no one's going to want to give up a first round pick for Ben Sherratt. And I was incorrect because Florida was willing to give up more than a first round pick for Ben Sherratt. They also gave up a fourth round pick and prospect that I think we profiled back in, in 2020, Ty Smolanich, who was drafted by the Panthers in the third round uh, and has, I think, kind of had some injury problems, but still has potentially some promise to grow into like a, a bottom six center, perhaps. Um, so that's all that Montreal got for a terrible defenseman who is so much worse than Hampus Lindholm, so much worse than Mark Giordano, so much worse than Josh Manson, uh, who we said Josh Manson, you know, a second in Hellison was fair. Ben Chirac got more than that. Uh, and for how good Florida is and how deep their forwards are, especially after that other trade they made, uh, and to go out there and say, we need to make an upgrade on defense, I know. No, we're not going to give up two seconds and a third for Mark Giordano. That would have been so sweet. And he's just like with Hafferton, just a, like a little more. Wait, no, actually, they're Hafferton on Ben Schrott, too. But they could have afforded it. I'm, I'm almost certain that they could have afforded uh, Giordano uh, with Hafferton. And to say no, Ben Schrott's our guy is just, that's got to be so painful for Panthers fans, <laughs> especially, especially if this team, you know, doesn't win the Stanley Cup, which they probably won't because most teams probably won't. And you're sitting there going, we could have had Mark Giordano. Or like Josh Manson instead of Ben Sherratt. And we didn't. And Bill Zito blew it. And he did so many smart things except that. You know, you could say, you know, we could have had Josh Manson. We could have had Hempus Lindholm. You could just say, we could have had a lack of Ben Sherratt on our team. <laughs> and on to our first round pick. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. Um, Because, yeah, no, this is, uh, we, we've talked about it. This guy sucks. Ben Sherratt stinks on the ice. He's never been good. He has always been bad. He takes penalties. He's off. You know, he's awful. You know, defensively, he's bad at moving the puck. He's bad at everything. Uh, and you know, it's for some reason teams are enamored with him. Montreal set the bar high, uh, well in advance. Good for them. Uh, and this is what you get. Uh, I don't understand how you don't like. You know, call Seattle, ask what the price is for Mark Giordano, then call Montreal, ask what the price is for Ben Sherratt, realize that the price is lower for Mark Giordano, and still acquire Ben Sherratt. Um, and even like make a cap clearing move where you're clearly on the losing end, like with a Vetrano move, like, you know, Vetrano, you could definitely get more than a fourth for him. Uh, Nick Deloria got a fucking third round pick. Uh, so you can't, you cannot possibly convince me that you could not have gotten at least a third for Frank Vetrano. Uh, so, you know, emergency clearance, trying to get the cap to work, uh, to get a fourth, uh, to then ship that fourth off to Montreal, uh, along with the first in Smolanic. Um, yeah, it, it just makes no sense. Like, honestly, you know, it's it's the same kind of deal with wrist line. It's like you don't understand where the player, like the player evaluation is coming from. Or you do, it's just, it's so stupid um, in that it's like, oh, uh, he's big, he hits, whatever. He's a playoff performer, um, as they say. 
Uh, and yeah, apparently Bill Zito fell for it. He fell right. He fell right into the trap uh, because uh, here he is, you know, giving up arm and leg for Ben Sherratt of all people. And for a team as well constructed as Florida, I would I kind of put this. I did not think that this, they would be the team, but alas, here we are. Uh, ben Sherratt is a Florida Panther, and they paid you know way too much for a third pairing guy who's like barely NHL caliber. Here's the thing with. Florida, they actually put Aaron Eckblad on LTIR today, which means a couple interesting things. Besides the fact that it looks like they're going with a stay there for the rest of the regular season, Eckblad, um, they now would have had room to acquire Giordano without any retention, which oh, maybe would have even lowered the price. Uh, if I'm Seattle and I'm smart, I don't take that into account at all because I don't care if I'm you know retaining. I'm nowhere near the cap anyway. Uh, but perhaps it would have. And even as it currently stands, they have $5.465847 million in deadline cap space after putting Ekblad on LTIR. Um, That is enough room that if you don't make another big addition to this team tomorrow, then you're kind of sitting there going, why not? Uh, And I imagine it would be another defenseman just because there's there's no reasonable way you can add anything else to this forward group after adding Claude Giroux to what was already there. The other interesting thing with putting Ekblad on LTIR is that it would appear Ben Sherrod is going to kind of like slide into his slot for the rest of the regular season. First pairing. Um, Let's go. First pairing with Mackenzie Wieger, keeping Forsling with Gudis and Brennan Montour with uh, Pateri Lindbaum, who... I'm guessing we'll rotate in and out with Lucas Carlson and the newly acquired Robert Hogg. Um, but the point is that basically just going, all right, we are putting Ben Chirot where Ekblad used to be, <laughs> even though it's temporary, could be an extremely rude awakening for the Panthers. And I'm curious to see how it ends up. <laughs> yeah, no, all of a sudden this uh, this defense, obviously Ekblad is, you know, top five kind of, or top 10 at least NHL defenseman kind of deal. Uh, losing him is a massive blow. And it does expose like a fragility on this team because they spent so much to acquire a shit defenseman like the reinforcements that they're like okay we're gonna we're gonna boost this lineup and you put in a bad defenseman right um makes it so that you know if you had acquired someone quality maybe you wouldn't be looking at such a major gap uh when you lose Aaron Ekblad uh so you know if you head into this group into the playoffs with because you know Ekblad is you know out for the season uh you're I think you're kind of fucking boned Honestly, you cannot roll in like Mackenzie Weger is great and all, but the rest of that defense does not inspire great confidence. You know, they're fine. They're average at best, but you know, you have Ben Sherrod in there. You throw that, you, you know, you throw in that little nuke into your lineup. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're I'm like, I'm selling Florida stock now uh, because uh, I don't want any <laughs> part of a Ben Sherrod first pairing or any pairing kind of deal in the playoffs. Honestly, without Ekblad there, uh, even if Ben Sherrod wasn't there, I'm not such a believer in that defense. Looking at the trade rate list, Jacob Chikrin is still sitting at number four. I've heard nothing on Chikrin. I'm guessing he doesn't go anywhere. The Sounds next like- highest defenseman is is Jacob Middleton. Have you ever heard of Jacob <laughs> Middleton? Because I think most people have not. And I was like, Jacob, guy, what's right? he like? What? He's a Sharks guy? Yeah, he's on the Sharks. He's making a league man on the bottom pair. Oh, so that could be, you know, nice for a team in a cap squeeze. John Klingberg is here. I don't think he's going anywhere either because Dallas is firmly in a playoff spot. Uh, Calvin DeHaan, Carson Soucy, Nick Letty. These are some other names. Brett Kulak, there's another name. 
uh, dip back into, you know, the Montreal pool. Um, so this is kind of the type of thing that Florida's working with. So unless they blow the Coyotes out of the water on a Chikrin offer, which I don't even think they necessarily even want to do, considering the fact that they now don't have a first-round pick for this coming draft or the one after or the one after that, thanks to Sam Reinhart, Ben Sherratt, and Claude Giroux, um, it would probably involve giving up, like, all their top prospects, or, well, not some of them. Their last year's first-rounder, Mackie Samuskevich, uh, or, you know, Grigory Denisenko, Alexi Heponiemi, Justin Sordif, uh, these types of names. Florida's, you know, top guys in the system is who they'd have to be shopping if they want to go after Chikrin. Might it make sense? It might, especially considering Arizona wouldn't have to retain it all. You have plenty of room, uh, at least this year, before Barkov's new contract kicks in next year to, uh, to you know, carry that cap hit. Um, but even if it is someone like Calvin DeHaan or Carson Soucy from the Kraken, um, I feel like you need to bolster this defense at least a little bit still, which, which, you know, it hurts after giving up your first rounder to do so. Yes. And accomplishing nothing. Um, yeah, that sucks. I think, you know, maybe, maybe the Florida management group doesn't feel like this because maybe they feel like they've addressed the group because they think the shit, um, but they would be wrong. <laughs> <I think he's... laughs> they would be sorely mistaken um, because, yeah, no, this this you're absolutely good. The forward is group is so good and so deep, um, but to, but to roll in, you know, with 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 like forty percent of your skaters uh, are, are are like two mediocre defensemen on the ice at the same time. Uh, you know, you gotta have defensemen on the ice. That's how the game works. Uh, that is, uh, you know, we're looking at major liability uh, in the playoffs. So. Yeah, you, you need to upgrade it. You need to upgrade it. And honestly, you need significant upgrades if Ekblad's not coming back. Only they know that in the medical situation there. Um, but if so, I mean, why not make a call to Arizona? See what's up there. Um, because you want to go all in, go all in. Don't don't half-ass it with the defense. Although they probably think they went all in with a Sherat trade. I think a lot they of people think do. otherwise. Yeah. yeah, and they did. They went all in on the wrong bit. I think it's, we're pretty comfortable saying. Extremely um, but- correct. Yeah. <laughs> they are very lucky that Claude Giroux, like apparently at like the sort of last minute, decided he only wanted to go to Florida. Because leading up, it was like, oh yeah, Colorado. He's going to Colorado. And I feel like if we, if he knew he didn't want to go to Colorado, we would have all known probably beforehand. Maybe it feels like it was kind of a maybe last minute thing. He was like, I'm going to the Panthers, and then Florida has all the leverage, and Philadelphia ends up trading the face of their team for the past 10 years for a 15 year old and Owen Tippett, who is, you know, fizzling out kind of, I mean, he could still be an NHL player. He hasn't been that great in the limited time there. I know I've said I'm an, I'm an Owen Tippett fan in the past. He has some offensive potential, but it has not come together at the NHL level yet. And like a third round pick, this is an extremely disappointing turn of events for the Flyers. But there isn't really anything they could have done. The ball was totally in Florida's court on this one. And um and they were they were straight up lucky about that because now their insane forward group has gotten even more insane by adding someone who is still a bona fide first line player. And those players very rarely get traded at the traded line. Someone who was like, Yeah, this guy belongs on the top line on the wing brawley, not top line center anymore. Uh, even though he is 34 
and uh, he's going to fit in absolutely perfectly with uh, Florida's band of insanely good forwards. Yeah, uh, you know it's funny. Bonafide first liner was the exact tur- uh, turn of phrase I was going to use uh, to describe Claude Giroux. Uh, and Stole yeah, it. With the, yes, you did. You, you absolutely blind robbery. Um, but yeah, no, he it's just insane. Uh, best forward group in the league at this point. Uh, like you know, you got Joe Horton and like Patrick Hornquist on the on Joe the fourth Horton? line. What? <laughs> Joe Thornton. <laughs> I, don't where, 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 I don't know where the team that comes from. <laughs> Joe Thornton uh, and, and Patrick Hornquist, you know, old man line with, with Noah Charlie on the fourth line. It's just uh, fucking crazy. Um, yeah, no, Claude Giroux with Alex Barkov uh, playing with the uh, the fantastic Carter Rehage. Just all three of them just fucking around on the first line. And that's not all. Uh yeah, no, they just, you know, Philly got robbed. Uh, I mean, that's I guess that's what happens when you give a player, what was it, did he have a full no move? Or like a no trade or whatever it was? Um, Pretty sure. He at least okay. had a full no trade. Yeah. So. And it's essentially the same thing when you're trying to trade someone. Right. So, you know, you, you write that into into the contract. That's the, the risk you kind of run. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're left to the whims of the player. And you want to go to Florida, so they have to let him go. So. You know, you can't really criticize them. At least he was them on... to go somewhere, you know. Exactly. So you can't really uh, criticize them on that front. Um, but it does suck for them. Uh, anyway, you cut it. Uh, you know, first round pick, uh, a prospect who's running out of runway, and a third. Uh, it's uh, not great to say the least. Uh, if you didn't have that no trade clause, you could definitely foresee a bidding war between. Uh, you know, apparently, you know, Florida's offer wasn't even the best. Colorado had more aggressive offers, but uh, you know, Giroux just wanted to go to Florida, so that's what they had to go with. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be, as you kind of mentioned before, what the Joes for Sturm trade was for. It was clearing room specifically for Claude Giroux. Uh, and then he decided he didn't want to come. So now they just have uh, extra room that they're probably going to try to find out what to do with. Uh, looking at Florida's forwards, um, I want to kind of talk about like how this came to be. Uh, because when they get fully healthy, because right now Anton Lundell and Patrick Hornquist are both injured. When they get fully healthy, you're scratching probably Maxim Mammon and probably Joe Thornton is probably on the outside looking into this lineup or at least is like rotating in and out with Louis Darnan. Um, Cause here's what you have. So besides, you know, Barkov was like a second overall pick back in the day. Huberdeau was a third overall pick. You're expecting to, to get stars there. Um, Sam Reinhardt, you gave up your first round pick plus Devin Levi last summer for him. And he is having like a, like a career year, uh, which honestly you would expect as soon as he gets out of Buffalo. Uh, Sam Bennett was a massive disappointment his entire time in Calgary. They traded it for him last year. People called it an overpay. And all of a sudden now he hit his stride last year. We were like, oh, is it like a flash in the pan? Turns out, no, he's got 25 goals this year already. Second line center. Uh, Anthony Duclair bounced around to a million different teams and was good on most of them, even though no one seemed to want to keep him. And Florida seems very happy to keep him. He signed uh, two more years after this one at $3 million. And he has 47 points in 54 games. Uh, amazing production. Carter Verhage and Mason Marchment. These are two really fun ones because these were like like fifth-line players when they were acquired by the Panthers. Um, Verhage, was that like a free agent signing? or Yeah, I think it was a free agent signing. Um, kind of similar, actually, to when they signed Marcheseau because Marcheseau was like a uh, frequent healthy scratch with the Lightning, signed with the Panthers, and became a top-six forward. Same thing with Carter Verhage. Um And Marchment was like a scrappy uh, Toronto Marley who they acquired for Dennis Mulgan. And all of a sudden, 
He's clicking at almost a point a game. 35 points in 37 games this year. He had like, did he have like a six point game not that long ago? I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, Patrick Hornquist is 35 and kind of slowing down, but under fourth line, that's not a problem at all the way he's producing. And Ant- Anton Ludell, 20 years old, recent uh, 12th overall pick. What an absolute steal, uh, which we kind of thought might be the case at the time, but who would have known that it would materialize so quickly that he is uh, an extremely productive third line center when he's in the lineup. So just top to bottom rock stars on the Panthers. Let's hope Ben Sherrod doesn't blow it for him. <laughs> and that is a, a very distinct possibility. Um, yeah. Crazy enough. Uh, Did I mention Claude Giroux when I was running through everyone? And they also Claude Giroux now. Oh yeah. No, of course. Um, so yeah, looking back, it looks like for Hagee, he just wasn't, he wasn't given a qualifying offer by the Lightning, and so you know he went oh, inside wow. uh, on, to the Panthers. And uh, well, you know, as, as for Mason Marchment, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, finish with the Panthers. Yeah, no, like Mason Marchment. Remember when they made that trade? We completely shredded them. <laughs> oh yeah, we did. We did. We were wrong. Yeah, because because it was one for one Dennis Morgan hockey trade, and like you know we're like Dennis Morgan's an NHL player. And Mason Marchment sucks. He's a minor leaguer. And so you traded, you know, and we, we killed Florida for that. We thought the Maple Leafs made out like bandits. Um, but uh, apparently not. Could not have been more wrong. Because uh, uh, I don't know what Dennis Mulligan's up to. And Marsh- Mason Marchment is, uh, you know, playing hella well. I was going to say, it's kind of insane that Tampa Bay didn't give her a qualifying offer. Because he's only making a million bucks against the cap. And they absolutely love to have extremely cheap second-line forwards. And Verhage, one may argue, is even more valuable than Brandon Hagel yeah. based on their productions. There it is. Their respective productions this season. This is this is what I was referencing when I was saying this the final act of Fusion and Hockey Podcast this week is the Brandon Hagel act because the <laughs> the, the word I... I kept thinking of when I watched try I described this trade to you was like that this deal is unforgettable. And <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Is there any better representation of A the Tampa Bay Lightning and just who they are these days and have been for the past couple of years and also what the salary cap does and how it totally warps players value? Um because Brandon Hagel, of course, when was the last time any player was traded for two first round picks? <laughs> any can you think of a single one? I, I, I cannot. Nope. I mean Eichel was kind of traded for like the equivalent because like Peyton Krebs is a recent first round pick, but straight up, like here are two of our first round draft picks in the near future. I can't think of an example. And it turns out to be a guy that no one's heard of, or at least no one had heard of uh, before this season. Um Brandon Hagel is producing at about a clip that is like worth $6 million, I think is the number floating around. And that's the type of disparity that you don't see often because he's making $1.5 million against the cap this year and two years after this. We were talking about uh, how Tampa was, you know, lacking the like Blake Coleman, Yanny Gord type of thing this year. And that's why we weren't as confident in them. Uh, they just got Nick Paul and they just got Brandon Hagel. And that's they're hoping is comparable. And I think is pretty comparable. But what makes Brandon Hagel that much more valuable is he can be that type of player on that cheap deal uh, for this year and next year and next year. And the first rounders they gave up were 2023 and 2024. So they will have actually still be, you know, reaping the benefits of Brandon Hagel 
by the time that last first round pick gets sent out at the door. So maybe that, you know, uh, lightens the sting a little bit. But that wasn't all they gave up because, well, along with getting two fourth round picks, they also gave up Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, who are somewhat promising, not as good as Brandon Hagel, but the same age, and were like in and out of the lineup on the fourth line uh, with the Lightning this year. And the the only reason they actually gave them up was because that was literally the only way to balance out the cap hit. <laughs> so at the deadline, we're always talking about teams that are like, oh, you don't want to give up a roster player. Tampa Bay had $0 in cap space. They literally had to. They were like, oh, we're adding $1.5 million on the books. We have to send you a little bit over $1.5 million in order to make it work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Lightning are crazy, and it just might work again. Right, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> they, they give up two firsts uh, for Brandon Hagel, and, like, nobody's kind of, like, you know, nobody's shredding them. Nobody's like, oh, what a, you know, they got fleeced because, you know, yeah, he's no in a vacuum, as we always say this episode, uh, not worth <laughs> two first-round picks. Uh, but, yeah, given the cap situation, uh, he's exactly what they need. Uh, you know, middle six forward, way underpaid, with term, $1.5 million. Um, and, you know, presumably, he's in an even, even better environment now uh, out in Tampa. And so, you know, we can reliably predict that his performance will go up uh, compared to, you know, with Chicago. So... Yeah, no, it's just it's maybe. just such a weird fucking yeah maybe, um, but that's my prediction, uh, and uh, it's just a weird fucking trade uh, that uh, yeah it's just unforgettable is exactly right, and uh, for Chicago, I mean they just like fucking signed this guy off the street like two years ago or something, right? Like <laughs> he wasn't drafted. Yeah, I, mean, was I have like, a question for you: Who drafted yeah. Brandon Hagel? Uh, wasn't it was it the Buffalo Sabers? It sure was. <laughs> what happened? He was uh, so like CHL players who you draft who you don't sign. They only have two years before they uh, become free agents or enter the draft again. Um, Brendan Hagel was drafted in the sixth round by Buffalo, uh, and that the his draft year actually had forty seven points in seventy two games uh, in the WHL with Red Deer, and that's the type of player that tends to go in the sixth round. The year after, massive step forward, over a point a game. The next year, over a point a game again in the WHL. Buffalo says, we're not going to sign you. Chicago signs him. He goes back to the Red Deer, scores over 100 points that season, and then uh, joins the Rockford Ice Hogs. Uh, and the year after that is when he uh, made his Chicago NHL debut. And since then, has been a, an extremely rapid upward trajectory to now this year already having 21 goals and getting traded for two first-round picks. Double ager undrafted free agent gets two first round picks within two years. Um is uh crazy. Uh but uh here we are. Also kind of funny, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish were both drafted that same year in the second round, and Brendan Hagel went in the sixth <laughs> round. And then was promptly unsigned. Um yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> they were they were, th- those two uh you know, good for Good for Chicago. They take a flyer on them, basically. Uh, they were not getting consistent ice time in Tampa. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's where we stand. Um, apparently, Brandon Hagel's worth two first-round picks now. He's worth more than everybody uh, else we've the... talked about. Yeah, yeah, he certainly is. Uh, to cap off the Brandon Hagel stuff, um, did you see the Taves quote about it? Yeah, he was, like, upset or some shit. Being yeah, a he, was, about but... it. he was being a little baby about it. He said something like, 
if that's not a guy that's part of the rebuild, then I don't think anyone in this locker room feels safe. And I want to find who had the tweet because it was extremely funny. That was like, Jonathan Taves, noted expert not on when people in the locker room feel safe. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a banger. Um, banger of a tweet. Um, yeah, well, you know, he's a clown. So that's uh, another fat L for you, Jonathan. An absolute clown. An absolute clown. I'm looking it up now. The uh, I'm trying to find it. I'm looking up Jonathan Taves feel safe. I'm sure that'll help. Uh, yeah, so it's Mark Lazarus uh, had the article. Like, if he's not a guy that's a part of the rebuild, then I don't know. I don't know if anyone feels safe at this point. And I didn't read the article, but the headline is uh, that he's now mulling over his own future in Chicago. Uh, yeah, so the reply is like, oh, so now Taves cares about people feeling safe in his team's locker room from Jonah Hoff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it seems like a lot of people in the replies have the have the same idea. Ah, well, he's getting rightfully dunked on, <laughs> Jonathan Taves. Uh, and, he should uh, yeah. dunked on. Yeah, obviously, and uh, yeah, he's, he's also just like deluded on the state of the franchise. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, this team isn't going anywhere anytime soon either. Um, so I don't know. He's just an idiot in many senses of the word, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess he is. Um, well. As I'm going back to Cat Family right now to make sure we uh, didn't miss anything. There was Nick Paul. The Jack McBain trade uh, isn't official on Cat Friendly yet. Uh, now let me go check my Twitter feed and make sure nothing crazy is breaking. Wait, I was literally just there five seconds ago. No, it doesn't look like it. I think we're safe for now. Although I assume there will be something by the time this is up. Or at least I hope there is because I want action tonight. Uh but before we end the podcast, as you can probably tell, since there was so much to talk about, no draft this week. Um, there's a chance we won't have one next week either, because hopefully there will be a lot of deals tomorrow that we'll have to catch up on. Um, but I am going to surprise you right now by asking you how your March Madness bracket is looking. Oh, oh, well, that's the thing. You know how my March Madness bracket is going. Uh, yeah, well, uh, just well, thanks for making the illusion. <laughs> He is. I just want to make it clear that he is. He is just dragging me out to the public square for public humiliation. Uh, that do not do not misconstrue this question as a uh, you know innocent inquiry into the state of my March Madness bracket. Uh, no, he, I know exactly what this is, uh, and, I, and I'll and I'll uh, you know I'll, I will comply. Uh, I'll go, and, wait, wait, wait! Before you, oh, before oh, you okay. go, would you like to brag about yours? Humble brag about yours first. No, I would just like to join you in misery because oh, okay. my bracket was looking quite good. My final four was all still alive. I was only missing one of my Elite Eight. Um, but now, as it turns out, my finalist, ah. Wisconsin, has lost uh, at the hands of fucking Iowa State, 54 to 49. Uh, so, so that hurts. My finalist, my my champion, Texas Tech, who I like to call Texas Tech, is still alive, as well as the other people in my final four people, UCLA, Villanova. Uh, I'm doing okay, and I am actually on Yahoo in the 92nd percentile as it stands, which I'm proud of, um, but based on the fact that my finalist is gone, I assume that number will drop. All right, uh, so... Okay, I, I will uh, now go ahead and describe the the, the beautiful state of my affairs. Uh, so I actually, uh, co- upon your like your reminder, uh, like I, <laughs> during the first day of games, I uh, 
I completed my bracket quickly uh, on a sheet of paper. Uh, and uh, yeah, because this year I, I clowned again, did not complete my bracket ahead of time, uh, and uh, and then committed further clowneries in the process of making my bracket. Uh, because, you know, okay, boo-hoo, your finalist lost today. Uh, you know, so did mine. Mine also lost in the second round. Uh, my runner-up, Tennessee, uh, losing to who? Michigan? Who cares about Michigan? They're a football fucking college. Stop winning a basketball, uh, among other things. Uh, so that's unfortunate. Uh, but not only that, uh, my winner, I had picked a, a second seed, you know? Those tend to go pretty far, you know? Especially an established program. Because I hear about them all the time, like Kentucky. Kentucky was my winner this year. Uh, and uh, what do you know? Some school named fucking St. Peter's. <laughs> I've never heard of St. Peter. And I haven't heard of the university either. Uh, and they're a 15 seed this year. They lose in the first round, 85-79. And so that's right. First weekend, I've lost my winner and my uh, runner-up. And I, you know what? I don't even remember who else I put in my final four. Uh, doesn't even matter anymore. I'm in the, you know, you're in the top 92nd percentile. I'm probably in the second percentile at this point. It's just absolutely miserable. You know, for someone who's like, like this theoretical person I'm trying to imagine, who is like a really big college basketball fan and, <laughs> and, and maybe doesn't, you know, fill, even necessarily fill out a March Madness bracket. I'm sure this tournament is so much fun. It's got to be the best. You know, you got upsets and you're like watching basketball and you're enjoying it. I'm sure that's much more fun than people like us who know next to nothing about it. I fill out my bracket in four minutes based on vibes. Uh, and, you know, so when I make a nice pick like North Carolina over Baylor that I get correct, I'm like, yeah, that's super fun. Uh, but then other times I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. These are just words on a page uh, with numbers next to them. And it means nothing to me except that green is good and red is bad and aggravating. Ah, so, uh, hey, but you know what? That's the thing. Maybe, you know, like if you're that educated, uh, the thing is you can still lose. Um. <laughs> well, what I'm, what I'm saying is if you're if you're that educated and maybe you're not even filling out a bracket, this ah. must be just a super fun tournament with games all oh, the yeah. time and, you know, riveting excitement. Um, Oh yeah, sports. As a if you if you as a neutral other than us who are only like this is about a bracket about which I know nothing. <laughs> I'm just trying to beat the odds here. Nothing else. I couldn't care less about yeah, the games. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. As a neutral observer, uh, I'm sure it's uh, fantastic. Like as a neutral observer fan of the sport, I'm sure they're having uh, lots of fun out there. Um, because yeah, single elimination without reseeding. That's like that's like part of the fun too. You know. Uh, makes yeah. for makes for more upsets and shit. Um, that's you know, and uh, that's how you find like St. Peter's winning twice. Look at that, St. Peter's in the the final sixteen as a sixteen seed or fifteen seed. So uh, here we are. So shout out to March yeah. Madness. Oh, speaking of fifteen seeds going far, uh, Eberly Hall Banana Split made it to the finals of the uh, the Evolving Wild Tweet bracket, but ultimately yeah. fell short to Mark Dunk and Buzz Flibbit, which was crowned the greatest hockey tweet of all time today so congratulations ah. to acting the fool man yeah solid solid tweet but uh i think it's slightly overrated i'm still uh behind uh the hall eberly tweet banana split but uh it is what it is uh, i don't think anybody's surprised it's a twitter icon that <laughs> buzz flip it yep absolutely um well 
that wraps it up. It was a long one, as expected. And next week's will probably be long too. Hopefully, there will be many more deals tonight slash tomorrow. And I do we want to pick a team this week, or do we want to maybe like take a week off and focus on whatever trades happen next on next week's episode? Sure, I don't. I don't mind taking a break. Uh, it's been a little bit. All right, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, let's take a little breather. All right, Sounds from good. from focusing on teams. Thanks for listening to this week's Fusion and Hockey podcast. Next week, March twenty seventh, it's more trade talk, presumably. We'll see you then. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. The end.